Do 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 do. Welcome back to Caught Monologuing. I'm Ryan Kunzer. I'm Meryl Koenig. I'm Esther. Yay, Esther's here. Boop, that boop. means we're talking about something cool. Yes, it does. Yes, it, it means that. And it's not The Bachelor. No, I'm here. very Are you sure. Well, we should. So, Ryan, what are your thoughts about Colton? I can't tell if this is just because I've only seen Colton and Ari's seasons, but so far as I can tell, the Bachelor show is entirely comprised of boring leads, and then they go completely apeshit in like the last two episodes because they haven't done anything else beforehand. Hmm. Okay. Well, we will hear mine and Esther's opinion, uh, plus more, uh, in a couple weeks or a week or two or whatever, whenever we do a Bachelor recap episode. So stay tuned for that. Uh, a good shameless plug to start off the podcast, just the way uh, I like to do it. Uh, but this Woo. week, we're actually talking about something uh, bigger uh, and more out of this world. We're talking about Captain something, Marvel. Yes, something that's higher, further, and faster. Yes, that's that's the tagline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, if yep. you're not going to use the tagline, I will. Ryan's been saving it for that exact moment. <laughs> Well, that's, they did say it in the movie, and it also felt mm-hmm. awkward when they said it in the movie. <laughs> but <laughs> other that's than okay. that, yeah. Uh, so before we get into the movie itself, uh, Esther, what were your thoughts? Uh, and I guess how, how were you feeling going into this movie? What were your expectations? So I was kind of expecting it to be about the level of Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. where. There's a lot of Wonder Woman that I really enjoyed, and there are parts of it that I still kind of felt uncomfortable with. Well, not uncomfortable, that's the wrong Mm -hmm. word. Just didn't resonate with me the way I was expecting it to. So I kind Mm -hmm. of went in for Captain Marvel going like, hey, it's going to be a great movie. Like, I'm really excited to see a woman, like, topping the screen. Yeah. But there's probably going to be some things that I'm still going to get annoyed by, as I usually am with movies. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was extremely surprised. Like, I came out of that movie, and I honestly felt... How do I, like, phrase this? It's not an amazing movie. Like, it's not into the Spider-Verse level movie-wise. Like, Mm -hmm. you're not going to win an Oscar with this It was good. It wasn't so... But it was a good movie. And it's very rare, I think, to see a movie with a female lead that is just genuinely a good movie and have it stand on its own. Yes, I I agree. Ryan, what were your thoughts? I was kind of like, I don't know, subdued about this movie going in. Mm-hmm. Like mostly I just kept forgetting about it because I was so focused on Avengers Endgame that mm-hmm. I kept forgetting that there was still another movie coming out before then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so, but from what I saw from the trailers, like it looked like it would be fun, but not not like the kind of movie I was looking for at the moment. So I was kind of, you know, ambivalent, I guess, going in. What kind of movie were you looking for? I mean, Avengers Endgame. Oh, okay. I want to see all my my favorite characters go through hard things. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that that makes sense. I also had a little bit of that, but there was also part of my mind that was, like, in, in my brain, I... The most important part of this movie was the impact it had, uh, I guess, going forward for all movies, for you know, superhero movies or action movies or really any movie with a female lead. This movie is, mm-hmm. was really important because 
Hollywood can tend to have a uh, not great, uh, you know, track record with, uh, you know, movies with female lead or diverse leads. And sometimes when you have a female lead, it's really bad, like Catwoman uh, and Elektra. And then after those movies came out, I was like, oh, this isn't good. We shouldn't make any more of these because we just lose money. And then 10 years goes by and no more are made. So after Wonder Woman came out, and that was as big of a success as it was, I was like, this movie, you know, it, it kind of has to do really well. Uh, it's the make or break it movie. Yeah, it's the, it's like once it could just be a fluke, twice is like, oh, this is actually something that could work. And being the smart, I guess, movie watcher that I am, it's like, of course it'll work. Uh, you know, or of course movies with female leads will work. That's not... That's not something, mm-hmm. you know, too crazy to make an assumption about, but... Don't be ridiculous there, Errol. Yeah, but... But I, it could come across. I think there's the moment of... There, it's not that they're not expecting there to be a wide audience for female-led movies. It's mm-hmm. the sense of how much is that audience that hates female-led movies and want them to a side role going to outweigh the audience that wants mm-hmm. those movies. So I feel like executives are making that business decision of our, you know, the super, super vocal group mm-hmm. of men that already hated the movie long before it came out, going to throw their money in so much of another direction that it will impact the movie financially and mm-hmm. how much of a detriment will it be? Because I feel like if that group of men was able to, you know, make sure the box office took a fall, even if the movie was into the Spider-Verse level good, they probably yeah. would make another movie. So the weight on this movie to make money is so high. Yeah, and it, it was interesting because that played out very clearly with this movie. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score for this movie was fine. It, I think it settled at a 79%, which is very good, mm-hmm. very respectable. Uh, but the fan rating, I, I haven't checked it in a minute, but it was at 36 mm-hmm. with, which is very low, especially... Uh, so the, the crazy part about that 36 number uh, is that it had 50-something thousand uh, reviews on Rotten Tomato. Now, that was after the first night it was released. In comparison, Avengers Infinity War had roughly the same number of reviews in its overall run. So you could tell on the first night, on that Thursday night preview where not that many people watched the movie... People were just bombarding Rotten Tomatoes, putting up bots to kind of trash the movie, try to give it the Ghostbusters effect uh, so people wouldn't go and see it. And that made me angry because people are the worst. But then my faith in humanity was restored uh, because Captain Marvel ended up with the uh, second largest worldwide opening for any superhero movie ever. Really? Wow. Yeah. Really, really good movie, guys. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it, uh, domestically, it got $150 million, and then internationally, I think it was another... It was either another 450 or it got to $450 million total. Like, it's on pace to be one of the biggest... I mean, of course, it was on pace to be one of the biggest movies of the year, but, like, it's yeah. defini- definitely, you know... Mm-hmm. So, update on the, on the Rotten Tomato score, real-time sure. follow-up. The critic rating is 80%, mm-hmm. and the audience score is 59. Oh, so 59? It bounced up oh, a little thank bit. thank God. Yeah. 
Thank you. I feel people. like everyone who's going to actually see the movie are spamming it with five star reviews now. I think it's a little bit of that, a little bit of Rotten Tomatoes, like realizing, oh, we have a problem. Let's try to find the bots that are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because they said they were gonna do something about it, and then they didn't. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's so obvious for this that it's not just a discrepancy between what the critics like and what the audience like. That it's people deliberately trying to sink the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Because the the people are speaking with their money, so it's pretty clear that uh, yes, they are. There's a, a lot of people who like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so now we talked about what other people thought. What are your guys' overall thoughts about the movie? Did you like it? Did you love it? It's your favorite movie ever. You're the worst movie ever. I'll go first, I guess. Um, I feel like this movie was just like almost perfectly positioned for me but just like a little bit to the side like the mm. the kind of 90s nostalgia it was going for was like just before i was a conscious human being so i don't mm-hmm. really have a strong connection with most of the things they're referencing you know and like much of the humor that was in the movie was like just off for my sense of humor so i like almost really got into it but couldn't quite get into it you know, mm-hmm. it, it didn't. It just didn't resonate with me in the way that some other movies have. But mm-hmm. you know, this was not a movie made to resonate with someone like me, so I can totally understand that. Fair, Esther. I come from the other perspective where this movie was made exactly to resonate with me, mm-hmm. and I felt that because all of the '90s references that weren't really a thing for Ryan were my entire childhood. Like they're the things that I remember listening to my friends when I was, you know in first grade and things like that yeah so it hit on all of the like 90s things that i remember and loved and it also really hit in terms of the storytelling like there are bits of how the plot was written that you know i could see could be stronger in some places and i'll probably talk about that later but what i appreciated was this was a movie that was made for women by a female director and you could see mm-hmm. that all the way through just in the small details and I didn't realize how much like those details meant to me until I was crying at the end of the film mm-hmm. and it didn't even have to do with there being a big emotional like moment in the film that like hit me hard internally the way like the end of Guardians of the Galaxy when Yondu dies like there wasn't sure. a huge moment like that but just the overwhelming of walking out of that movie and feeling seen is yeah. something that I haven't had in years and years. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree with that. I, I, I mean, granted, I don't come from the female perspective. Like this, like Ryan said, this movie wasn't necessarily made for men. I, I would also say that it, it was made for everyone, uh, just because <laughs> it is one of these big blockbuster movies. Um, I agree with Ryan in the sense that the 90s references i was in the more britney spears backstreet boys like pop 90s culture that's what i grew up with rather than the 90s grunge so that i guess missed the mark i guess at least for me that wasn't i guess the 90s that i remember at least not as well um so there's that uh but the other thing that you mentioned about like having this movie have a message that meant a lot to women and like girls that are watching this movie that that was huge uh you mentioned esther uh texting the movie it's like uh, texting us after this movie ended it was like 
is this what guys feel like after watching a superhero movie? Because, you know, it apparently affected you the way that, that it did. Um, and I guess my response to that is, well, I'm trying to think of a good way to put it that doesn't sound weird, but I think the point of this movie is that, or, or at least at the end of this movie, Captain Marvel beats Jude Law or Jan Rog or whatever that guy's name was. Uh, he beat him because like he's like, finally, you can prove yourself to me. You could, you know, times to prove your worth, show that you can get rid of all the distractions. And then she's like, I don't have to prove myself to you. That's not that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to do what's best for myself and everyone else. And I think that's a really important message. I don't think that happens in movies, I guess, aimed towards men or with men superheroes because it's all about proving yourself to beat the bad guy. It's, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that is what it's for. So I think there's definite, there, there's definitely that where it's, that's definitely a stronger message for women because they have to deal with that so much more often. But it's also, I don't know if it's a toxic, toxic masculinity in men driven movies, but there's also a little bit where I realized like, oh, this is a different feeling that I felt during, I felt proud at the end of that movie. It's like, this is a really great message for whoever's watching it, I mean, especially women, but for whoever's watching it, that's a really great thing to take away. I think part of the reason why that message especially hit me so hard is if you look mm -hmm. at most movies with a female-driven lead, especially if it's one where she's going up against a lot of men, mm -hmm. the whole message of the film is that she has to beat the men at their own game. Yes. She has to be not only, like, good at, like, let's say it's a baseball movie. Not only does she have to be, you know, the best girl in baseball, but she has to be better than all the boys. And only when she can play exactly like them except better is she mm -hmm. considered, you know, worthy of anything or worthy of any level of respect? So there's mm -hmm. a sense of not only do you have to prove yourself to, like, the men that you are, or, like, going against, even by proving yourself, you're not, you know, getting any sort of more respect. You're just being considered, oh, now you can be part of the conversation. And yeah. part of the implication of that as well is the only way in which you can, you know, get any sort of respect is by mm -hmm. being better than all the women around you. You have to outperform them. If you are not showing the ways in which you can beat all of the girls around you, you're not even allowed to sit at the same table as the boys. Yeah. Because if you notice in those kinds of movies, they force the woman to, you know, outplay everybody else in her gender, and only then is she allowed to be on the boys' team. And then she has to fail 89 billion times before she beats the boys once, and then they can talk to her. And only then does she mean anything. So part of the reason why this movie was so deeply touched me in that way mm -hmm. was looking at the amount of supportive female friendships where there was no sense that she had to beat Maria or be better than Maria or Marvell or any of the other people that she was with. Yeah, It was all about finding her own path. And I felt like the moments where you saw her falling down over and over and standing back up and, you know, being defeated and not being as good of the boys, mm -hmm. but still being worthy of respect. That's yeah. a huge, huge thing, at least for me, being like a woman who has watched girls not get any level of respect unless they have to be, you know, better than the boys. And seeing her obviously not better, especially physically, than, than other, like, men and still being worthy of respect is just huge. 
Yeah, I agree. And I, I think from a story standpoint, at least for me, her relationship with uh, Maria was the, by far the strongest point in this movie. I didn't cry at the end of the movie with that, but I did when uh carol danvers and maria uh, rambo were sitting across the table from each other and maria said i'm not upset that you left for six years i'm not upset that i brought that you did all these things i'm just happy i have my best friend back uh that was the moment that like made me start to tear up in this movie and they did a really great job of having those really strong uh supportive relationships and also what's kind of crazy about this movie and it's you know just superhero movies in general. It's one of the first that doesn't have a love story. Uh, yeah. At all, which I thought was, a, you know, it, it wasn't something I realized until after I saw the movie, but then I realized how, I guess, important, uh, maybe not important, but like how, I guess, interesting or new that it was, especially compared to like, say, Wonder Woman, where I thought that her love story with, uh, with, uh, Steve Trevor was a little bit forced, even though it was fine. And Chris Pine is delightful. It's, I, you know, this movie I thought mm-hmm. didn't didn't force it just because she's a girl and has to love a guy. And what I also appreciated was you could kind of see it in the way of a love story, but it is a queer romance. You have two women that are best friends whose lives are so intertwined that we're basically raising like a daughter together. So mm-hmm. you could see, like, the elements of that, but it's not what makes... Like, the romance doesn't make the movie. There doesn't yeah, have yeah. to be romance. It, 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 there doesn't have to be romance. It's It can be there if you want to take that from it, but it's also not forced upon the viewers that if they don't want to see it or if that's not something that... Or that they're just oblivious to, because I feel like whenever I watch a movie where there's, like, an understated uh, romantic plotline that isn't really there... I always miss it. So, I don't know. I thought it was really great. I thought Lashana Lynch was the best the best actress. In the, she was so good. So good. Oh, yeah. She had two, I guess, monologues or dialogues with uh, Captain Marvel that I thought, oh, she's, she's going to... I mean, if this movie doesn't make her a star already, she's going to be a star. She's going to be the lead of some movie and just do whatever she wants to do because she's great. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole cast I thought was very great in addition, you know. Yeah. Brie Larson obviously did a very, very good job. Um, you know, Jude Law was doing his, his Jude Law thing where you kind of <laughs> like him but also don't like him. Uh, <laughs> you know, the... Um, what did you guys think of the, the de-aging done on Samuel L. Jackson and Clark Gregg? So I, I didn't I actually thought it was pretty for Samuel L. Jackson. I thought it was actually, I'll just say this. I didn't notice it. Like I knew Samuel Jack, mm-hmm. uh, Samuel L. Jackson looked younger than he normally does. Uh, but I didn't like, it didn't affect my movie watching experience. And then on top of that for Clark Gregg, I didn't realize they did anything. Cause I feel like he just perpetually looks the same age. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, so that were, so I didn't realize that there was anything that was off with that. So that's that's my thoughts. Esther? I had a little bit of Uncanny Valley from Clark Gregg because I yeah. noticed at one moment as he moved, like you saw like his facial features literally shift a little bit as it took a second for like 
the de-aging to catch up and that mm-hmm. threw me off really hard but I honestly didn't even notice till the end of the movie with Samuel L. Jackson when I was leaving the theater I was like isn't he a little older than that I remember him being yeah. a little older than that <laughs> <laughs> yep it's true they have a fair amount of uh material I guess from the 90s of Samuel L. Jackson to work with to mm-hmm. de-age him yeah yeah, no, I will was... say the uh, hey, go ahead, the man. this the CGI for for Goose the cat um, was so, yes. was a little bit off for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I've been spending so much time with Esther's cats, but uh, I definitely noticed it for Goose. I felt like they got the essence of cat right, and that was what I was they did. expecting. Yeah, I, as someone who does not spend a lot of times with cat, spend a lot of time with cats. Uh, I was fine with it. Uh, there was one part that didn't feel realistic, though. That was, that was when, uh, you know, Goose got hungry and decided to eat six or seven of the uh, people in his way. That was, that was weird and unsettling. Yeah. And I don't think cats can actually do that, right? As a cat owner, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> it takes them much longer to eat six people. Yeah. Like a good extra five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fair. They um, did a very good uh, impression of the hairball, though. That yeah. was on point. Yeah. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts of just all the space elements? Because we talked a lot about what happened, like when, you know, uh, Carol Danvers was on Earth and her journey with Samuel L. Jackson and, like, the importance of her relationship with, uh, Maria, what about all the stuff before that when they were in space or even the stuff towards the end when they were back on uh, the in the secret lab? Yeah, I think my, my own, this kind of goes with my only real complaint about the writing of this movie, which is that as soon as it starts, it's like super expedition heavy. Mm-hmm. You're just laying it on real thick, uh, which is necessary considering the amount of uh, you know, backstory and like context you need for understanding the Cree Skull War. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you know, I definitely felt it as an audience member. Um, the rest of the space stuff as a whole, I didn't really mind. I think mm-hmm. it they did a good job of connecting it with like Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. you know, having yeah. some of the people on uh, the Star Force also showing up later as Ronin's uh, you know, yeah. henchmen was a nice touch, and I liked that. Yeah. So, yeah. What'd you guys think? I thought they did a very good job of making sure like we knew who each character was and their connection to each other very quickly. Like Within the first five minutes of the movie, I got a really good sense of like how Brie Larson was playing Captain Marvel and like a good sense of the personality. And I feel like considering what's going on in this huge space setting with all of these mm-hmm. questions of the audience going like, where are they? What are they doing? What is the pre-skull war? I think that in the bounds of having to be very exposition heavy at the beginning, like the actors did a very good job at defining where they were and what the goals of their characters were. I agree with that. My, I guess, complaint with, I guess, all the space stuff, and this is, you know, getting into comic book nerd mode, uh, the Kree Skull War in the comics was basically two, I don't want to say evil, I guess, alien races, but they weren't friendly towards Earth. And the people on Earth just kind of got in the middle of it. And mm-hmm. I thought there wasn't enough gray area. Like, I thought, you know, 
one of the two sides one of the two sides should have uh, had a little bit. It shouldn't have been so black and white. Like I thought, the movie I was walking into, I thought it was going to be a movie about like mistaken identity with uh, the scroll consistently swapping and who's who and just having no idea what's going on the whole time. And that's not the movie we got because it turns out that they were all good people and and then the Kree were the bad people. But the Kree, when they made the turn from good people to bad people, it wasn't... I mean, especially Jude Law's character, who I thought he did his the best he could for the role, but I think the role should have shown some more gray area. When he switched over to be on the bad side, he should have still shown a love for carol danvers and even if it's not like a romantic love but like a father daughter brother sister or like a friend relationship mentor mentee yeah mentor exactly mentor mentee there should have been like you know let me you know blow you up now uh and then it it shouldn't have been so intense there should have been a gray area somewhere there should have been some sort of confusion of who's good and who's bad or at the very least you know, have the good or bad guys be conflicted because no one's 100% good or 100% evil. And I think it would have been nice to see some more gray in space. Yeah, I agree. I think that part of the movie was honestly the weakest part because Mm -hmm. that's when I felt like the flip happened a little bit too, like, immediately switched. Like, I would have liked some Mm -hmm. sort of hints earlier that, you know, this girl weren't quite as bad or something like that. It kind of went, they're going to use one conversation to change all of our perspectives about everything. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of very impassioned monologues that I wanted to connect to, but it felt way too quick. Like if I feel like there are moments mm-hmm. where you see like, you know, the scroll could let this human child die, but save their life or like could have killed someone, but it yeah. chose just inside to knock them out. So they switched way too quickly from killing everyone in their way to all of a sudden they are the innocents here. And yeah. it relied a lot on Maria being able to talk around Carol. And I feel like the actress did an amazing job doing it, but they mm-hmm. put too much weight on one character's speeches to do what the movie should have been able to do just by showing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's either have more hints beforehand that uh, the scrolls were actually good or, and this is, I think what I would have preferred, have more hints after the fact that the scrolls aren't actually as good as they seem to be. So maybe not in this movie, but in a future movie, the scrolls can actually be the bad guys. That would be mm-hmm. interesting. That's what I, you mm-hmm. know, what I think I would would have wanted to see but yeah yeah i mean to be honest captain marvel too i mean that's what i'm kind of hoping for (laughs) yeah to be honest i'm kind of glad we didn't get that uh movie with the mistaken identity type stuff Mm -hmm. because that's just my least favorite kind of plot uh so on a personal level i'm glad that we got what we did um I don't know. I thought the the actor who ever um, Ben Mendelsohn, who did Talos, or Jude Law that did the, Young Rock, which guy? The one who the one who did the main uh, scroll. Okay, yeah, Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, I yeah. thought he did a very good job. Yeah, I think the entire cast was great, like top to bottom. I 
you know, mm-hmm. had no complaints with any of the acting. It, I do have some complaints with how the characters were written, but none with the acting. I thought Brie Larson was great. I thought Ben Mendelsohn was really good. Lashana Lynch was, you know, again, the best part of this movie. Samuel L. Jackson was Samuel L. Jackson, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, Gemma Chan did a great job as Minerva, one of the Kree uh, warriors. Uh, same. Mm-hmm. Jude Law did the best he could for, I guess, the role that was written. Annette Benning came in, played a couple really strong minutes. Uh, in the movie that I just <laughs> yeah you know, I enjoyed so yeah mm-hmm. across the board great stuff yeah I should have known that the Kree were going to be the actual villains when their leader is called the supreme intelligence I think yeah any yeah. anytime you reference a leader as supreme they're evil mm-hmm. I think they also knew that if especially if you're you know a Marvel geek and have seen the other stuff like. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has kind of pointed out that Kree are the bad guys, and we've seen the Kree kind of positioned in a bad guy role. Yeah. So, honest, honestly, I went into the movie expecting the Kree to break into two factions, and that might have been, like, where oh, my yeah. brain was coming from. I, I think that's the gray area I would have wanted to see in this movie, where either they split into two factions, or you could at least tell that there was some split in thoughts among Kree people. But, like, also in Guardians of the Galaxy, they were the bad guys. Like, Ronan yeah. and Korath are two evil people from in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies that, you know, are also in this movie. Yeah. So, in about a month and a half, Avengers Endgame is coming out. And this That's movie so close. did a couple things to tie into the overall uh, Avengers Infinity War MCU world. What are your thoughts about how it handled, I guess, the pre-Endgame stuff and also just connecting to the rest of the MCU? I mean, I absolutely love the idea that everything Avengers sprung up from a woman and, like, she was the influencing part. That Mm -hmm. just makes me so, so happy that S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Avengers came from Peggy Carter and Carol Danvers, especially since superhero movies tend to kind of be more macho men, even when they're not trying to be. Captain America, beefcake kind of thing. Like, you you tend to get a little bit more of that macho coming in, regardless of how much the writers want it to. And Mm -hmm. being able to say, like, the impotence of all of this wasn't the super macho men army kind of thing, or, like, proving yourself kind of thing. It was just one woman doing her best. That makes me Mm -hmm. really happy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean... I'm really glad they weren't called the Protectors because that doesn't have the same ring as the Avengers. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Very true. I mean, they, they had a lot of, like, little things that connected. Uh, you know, obviously we saw the the pager that mm-hmm. magically, automatically connected to uh, Carol Danvers' Cree tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have thoughts about the way technology was handled in this movie, but I'm sure <laughs> you can you guess them already. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And what did you think? Uh, well, so I thought it did a good job of getting me excited for Endgame. I just, I want that movie to come out immediately and watch it right now. Um, I didn't love the Tesseract being like being the core being like the, yeah, like that, how she got her powers. Yeah, I understand why, because it makes it clear that she can actually somewhat stand against Thanos, whereas they spent Infinity War demonstrating that everyone else sucks. Yeah, and, like, 
it, it makes sense. But at the same time, it just like, I'm usually cool with like Avengers tie-ins, especially with the, uh, uh, you know, infinity gauntlet or the affinity stones rather. But mm-hmm. I thought like, I kind of felt like we'd moved past that. Like all of that was leading up to infinity war. And even though we're in the middle of Infinity War, like this is just another like, oh well, that's they threw that in there just as fan service, and I, that felt more fan servicey than some of the other fan service things. That I mean, it felt kind of like a a throwback because it was set, you know, before all the other ones, mm-hmm. and like the the tie-in from Avengers Infinity War, where you see the pager. And it has her logo on it that felt also kind of like a throwback to like Iron Man and Thor and stuff where they like tease the next movie by showing the hammer and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, I felt like it, it was kind of harkening back to when we used to just get excited about how there's going to be a Thor movie coming. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I don't know. I think. I, I, get, I get that it, it feels like that kind of a throwback, but I was, like, ready to move on. Like, this movie felt like this movie should be able to stand alone in a world bigger than the Infinity Stones. And while I get that the Infinity Stones are the MacGuffin of, you know, every Marvel movie mm-hmm. to date, essentially, uh, yeah. I felt like this one was, like, it didn't have to be attached. It kind of made this movie... I don't know, I just, for, like, the few moments that it was on screen, I felt like, oh, this is just, this movie went from, like, oh, this is this great, you know, powerful movie to, like, oh, it's just another piece of the Marvel puzzle, which, don't get me wrong, I love Marvel puzzle pieces, but I was like, this not only is a piece, but it also can stand on its own, then it kind of, kind of brought it down for me, but that was my, and that's my reaction to the the I think Tesseract. it was fine for me because it was only in those last bits of the movie, so it didn't feel like the entire movie was around then figuring out what the Tesseract was, because we weren't even really sure what the power source was until the end. Yeah. And I mean, if you see it kind of, like, in terms of years, like, if you watch this before you, like, you know, maybe Captain America and then this in, like, order of years, I mm-hmm. feel like it would fit really well, and that's kind of what I would bet they were slotting for. Because I kind of like that it ties back in. Because if there was all this pressure for this movie to have to stand on its own in the way other Marvel movies don't, I feel like that would kind of have a connotation I wouldn't like. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know. I I mean, I think it was the connotation, at least the point that I was trying to make, was less so about this particular movie. I just thought that the MCU as a whole was beginning to, you know, the tie-in to Infinity Wars wasn't the Tesseract or one of the Infinity Stones. It was the pager and that she is the MacGuffin of this next movie. She's the last puzzle piece. Rather than, oh, this uh, this puzzle piece that we already knew about and existed. We know what's up with the puzzle piece. That's That was the puzzle piece the whole time. That's the puzzle piece that gave her her powers. That's, it kind of, I don't know, I feel like it diminishes, you know, her whole deal. If that makes sense. Like, rather than her being badass on her own with her own backstory, it's like, oh, she's just part of this, this you know, gauntlet. I don't know. That's at least how I 
felt. I mean, I'm biased because I kind of like that it's that way. Because I feel like there's a lot of weight that's put on, you know, movies that star, like, a black lead or movies that star a woman, where there's all this weight where they have to be somehow superior to the other superhero movies to be good Mm -hmm. or worthwhile. And I kind of like that, you know, for her, it's, you know, a decent superhero movie. Like, it's not the best. Like, it has some weird tie-ins the way you would see in, like, you know, Iron Man or Thor or something like that. And that it's equally okay and can still have as big an impact. Whereas I feel like if there was tons of weight to make it separate and stand on its own and have to like have all this weight thrown into it, I feel like it would kind of cast a shadow over it. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. Uh, the point I was just saying, just from a pure movie viewing experience, I think it would have made a slightly better movie just without having the tie-in if it was just some other random power source. Like if they chose some other little you know Easter egg from the Marvel comics that could have done it. I think that would have been just mm-hmm. as powerful and they could have even brought that back in a future movie that could have been a thing. Um, I just felt like, you know, the fact that we've already had the Tesseract in so many Marvel movies it kind of felt, you know, oh, this again, rather than something new and exciting. I'm but very I, excited I, for when Marvel is done yeah. with the Infinity Stones. Yeah. I mean, I, I do 100% get what you're saying. I just thought that, like, this movie... Like, it's, it's great that it fits as a puzzle piece in Marvel like all the other Marvel movies do. I just think that it could have just, it could have been a slightly stronger puzzle piece if it was, a, if they use a different MacGuffin. That's just, I don't know. That is my thoughts uh, about it. Uh, okay, so I think we've talked about all we can talk about. Do we have any final thoughts? I really enjoyed, like, her outfit in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time I've seen a female lead, especially a female superhero lead, who wasn't wearing heels of any sort. There was mm-hmm. no cleavage. There was no, like, sexualized body pan shot. She was just a woman wearing, you know, functional clothing. And it shouldn't mm-hmm. be a big deal that that's such a major part of the movie. But I was mm-hmm. so excited when I realized that her boots weren't even healed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All that, and it still and looks She great. does look good in the leather jacket, too, and riding a motorcycle. Yeah. And whenever she's framed in a shot, like, this isn't concurrent throughout, but, like, it, she's never framed in a sexualized way. I, yeah, I don't no, know no, if no I'm gratuitous putting that. Shots. Yeah. It, yeah. It wasn't, like, even for Wonder Woman, where there were points where, like, you could see the male characters, like, giving her a once-over, and it was fine because she's really beautiful, and they've told you she's beautiful 87 times. And I don't think they called her pretty or beautiful or anything once in the entire movie, except for the one person who was framed to be a creeper. And then she yeah. steals his motorcycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was great. Ryan, any any final thoughts? Um, just because technology is alien doesn't mean that it, its user interface has to be completely uncomprehensible. <laughs> um, and also somehow this, the child, uh, what's her name? I can't remember. Monica? Lieutenant Trouble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Lieutenant Trouble. Uh, she just instantly knows how to change all the colors on uh, Captain Marvel's suit. I mean, it's, like Children are smarter I mean, than us. It, Let's be real. It was a great scene, but the, the things that her hands were doing had no comparison <laughs> whatsoever to what was happening to the suit. I mean, you're not wrong, but, but still... That's um <laughs> really any scene with Lieutenant Trouble or Monica, I, I I'm all on board with that. I thought she was great. Oh yeah. Um she was fantastic. Yeah. Also I thought 
personally, what I would really like, uh, and I haven't seen any of these yet, um, but like with the toys and marketing and stuff, like for the Funko Pops at least, just because that's you know really where my only interest is in this, not in this movie, but like in terms of toys around this movie, I kind of wish they like released a whole line of all the different colored suits that they stopped over in. Cause that would have been pretty great. <laughs> Cause like they had yeah. like the one where she was just covered in neon. They had the one with like the original, you know, Marvel colors with the white and the green. They mm-hmm. like had a whole bunch of different stopovers that were like small Easter eggs and whatnot. That I think would be cool to have in a, in a toy line. Mm-hmm. Also that neon one was very nineties and I in loved re- it. real world. I that would have been so the one much. that got, that would have been the one that's, it, it was so cool. Like I want that. Honestly, if they had like a neon, like a Captain Marvel T-shirt with like the neon colors or like a hat or something, I would already own it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we say bye to all of our wonderful listeners? Go watch Captain Marvel. Yeah, if you haven't seen it and you've listened to this whole episode, I know we didn't give a spoiler warning, but like, come on, come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, do all the stuff you normally do for this podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can subscribe. You can give us a wonderful rating, five stars or better. Uh, please do all of that stuff. You could uh, send us an email uh, at co- podcasting. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or whatever you want to talk to us, you will most likely respond. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Cod Podcasting. Uh, what else? Oh, we have our forum. If you have any questions, we're going to do a Q&A episode at some point in the future. So make sure to get your questions in there and we will answer them on an episode. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun at some point in the future once we get enough questions. So do that. Yeah. Um, is that it? Listen, I should talk about Google Play. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. All right. Bye. Bye.